So I'm going to invite Jerry Fiella to come up and share first, and then Marilyn Reside is going to share as well. Uh, I told Dick he was very brave in asking me to stand up in front of the congregation. Um, and this is really taking me out of my comfort zone. But uh, I think last week we heard Greg speak on 1 John uh, 2, verses 3 through 6 on obedience. And uh, if you recall, Greg gave, that, Greg gave that example of that young girl who came to him experiencing trouble in her relationship with her boyfriend. And Greg, as the counselor, explained to her that the boyfriend's love had to be absolute. It had to cover all the bases, including her love for God, which was something that he couldn't understand. And that that absolute love was shown through obedience and obedient acts of love. Now, if you talk to my dad, who's not around anymore, he would tell you I was never a very obedient child. And for me, obedience to God is something that I like to think of in a proactive way, not reactive. So what do I mean by that? Now, I had to look up obedience because, like I said, I wasn't very good at it as a kid. But Wikipedia, that, that um, great... Um, um, indicator of it all, right? It had a very interesting description of it. It said, obedience in human behavior is a form of social influence in which a person yields to explicit instructions or orders from an authority figure. And obedience is generally distinguished from compliance, which is behavior influenced by peers and from conformity. And that is behavior which is intended to match what the majority does. So when God speaks to us, we should listen and do what he's telling us and not be compliant by just following the behavior of our peers. So this week, I had a few Kairos moments. I was having lunch with some folks, and they were telling me a story uh, while they were visiting a foreign country where uh, some of the people there just turned to them and, and offered them assistance and help to carry their bags to an airport. And yesterday at a football game, my cousin, she had a baby stroller with two babies in it, and we needed to lift it over a set of steps, set of bleachers. And a young man just turned around in an unsolicited way, and he said to me, well, let me just help you. So in both cases, those people didn't have to extend themselves. And if they didn't, nobody would have thought anything differently of it. You wouldn't have looked at them as not caring or selfish. But it's the thing that in society today and what it is, is we've come to accept the fact that we need to ask people for help, okay? That it just doesn't show up. And responding to that ask, that response is usually the act of compliance, not the obedience to God. Because God, when the person just asks, offers that assistance to us without being requested to me, it seems like that's God having his hand in, his, in, in their heart to do something that they offer. So these are Kairos moments to me that I sometimes you fail to see them at the moment, but when you look back at them and think about them, you start to realize what those little acts of kindness and what those obedience to God's will, how, how that worked in other people. So for me, I tell you what I do. I find my, a lot of my time for peace and, and quiet time is in a car while I'm driving to meetings around. And that's when I have my conversations with God. I keep the radio off. I just talk to God, and I pray, and I ask for his guidance and direction to give me that obedience to him and to be a good messenger of his word. And I try to, like I said, do this proactively before I find myself in an organizational meeting or some other meeting where tensions can really take hold and grab hold of you and pull you away from your heart. 
Um, I ask God to help me listen rather than talk. And as you get older, uh, that's an okay thing to do. When you're young, you know, you got to say something to impress the older people in the room. As you get older, you keep your mouth shut. And people say, well, I wonder what the old guy's thinking. <laughs> right? and I ask for God for, my, for guidance to stay focused, to hear what's being said. And if I do have to speak, to put the right words in my mouth, to be, to be, uh, to be uh, 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 helpful in those meetings. It's easy for me to be in a room of like environmental scientists and all these people with these great PhDs and stuff, and I really have to sit there and bite my tongue and be careful not to say something really stupid. The reflection, I feel that that reflection of my behavior though, it's showing respect for the people in the room. And while everybody else in the room may not understand that it's a result of God, my connection to God, I feel that he's directing me as my authority figure. And I know that. I walk out of there understanding that. And I walk out of those meetings and I thank God for that guidance while I was through that time. Now, I still have a lot to do, believe me. I lose track of God during the course of the day very easily, midday getting caught up in things in the world around me. And I forget to have those quick conversations during the course of the day as I go from next meeting to next meeting to my next assignment. But I do find that my days go better with God by my side. He's the authority over my behavior, and he guides my actions and my words, and the glory really belongs to him. Thanks. Thanks, Jerry and Marilyn. Hello. So, um, obedience is something that God has been um, instructing me on, and so the passage and the sermon last week were um, very much in keeping with what the Lord has been teaching me lately. My work situation has been very stressful to me, to say the least. Um, it's kind of funny to come up here and just say it like that, because I've definitely been crying over it. Um, but it has been stressful. And um, I think in light of that, I've um, been forgetting who God is. And because I've been forgetting who he is, I've not been obedient to him. And that was one of the things that um, Greg was talking about last week, that um, I've seen reflected in my own heart that as I'm forgetting who God is in this situation, then I'm forgetting how to be obedient because if I don't know who he is, then there's no root for my obedience. So um, the thing that Greg challenged us last week at the end of his sermon was um, to just, what what is the one thing that we can do um, to be obedient to God today? And this has been over the last several weeks, but um, a couple weeks ago I was wanting to be obedient but just really not remembering who God is, kind of forgetting in this, the stress of the situation. And I said, God, I want to be obedient, but I just don't know how to do anything right now. And so I just started reading scripture and um, trying to remind myself of who God is. And <clears throat> in doing that, then, and I don't, hopefully being obedient and reading the scripture when I'm not sure what else to do, um, I s- started to pray for the people um, who were partially stressing me out, <laughs> and that I didn't really feel like praying for, but that um, it did certainly feel like an act of obedience to pray over the people um, that I'm feeling particularly challenged by. So I started to pray over them, and I started to pray over um, the situations that were happening at work that were that were um, causing me a lot of anxiety, and. 
of course, I can't come up here. This is very much an unfinished story like the ones we've been telling. I can't come up here and say that all these relationships have been healed and all these situations have been resolved, but I have seen um, God's grace on those things. So I see relationships starting to turn, and I see difficult situations with some um, silver lining. And um, as I change, I see the situations changing as well, slowly. Um, and I hope to see more change. But um, I sort of jokingly said at Sermon Group last week that, oh, it's so nice to um, see God changing me, and yet I'm you know, somewhat terrified to see what is the next thing that God wants to, how, how God wants to change me next, because it hasn't been easy. It's been a huge challenge. So um, that's just an example of how God's been sharing with me to be obedient. And I think one of the things that he's working on with me now and being obedient is that my obedience is, um, he wants me to be, be obedient every day. And I think sometimes I think, well, today's Saturday. <laughs> today, today's a day off from doing anything, including um, seeking God in scripture, seeking his word through prayer, seeking what he wants me to do. And I know that sort of sounds silly, but in reality, that's what I'm doing. I'm forgetting who God is, and then I'm forgetting to be obedient because I'm not keeping track of who he is in my life. So those are the, some of the things that God's currently working on in me um, and how he wants me to be obedient to him. Thanks, Marilyn. All right, well, we're going to think about this passage some more now this morning. If you want to take your Bibles and open up to 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. It's on page 862 in the Bibles in the seats. 1 John 2, 3 to 6. John Wimber, the pastor from California who started the Vineyard Movement, had a number of catchy sayings, and one of them sums up this passage really well. It's our key biblical truth for this morning. The meat is on the street. You see, Wimber would have people come up to him and complain that, that um, his, church should, his churches should have deeper teaching, that uh, the teaching was too simplistic, it was too basic, it was, they would say, like milk. This sort of teaching was fine for new baby Christians, but as people grow in their faith, they need meat. You know, they, they need to go deeper, to, to dig deeper into God's word and, and, and God's ways. And, and Wimber would reply to these people and say, the meat is on the street. <laughs> in other words, do you want to know God better? Do you want to go deeper into God's ways? Then go live out what you've already learned. <laughs> That's how God will teach you more deeply who he is and what his ways are. The meat is on the street. And I think that's what John is trying to get across in today's passage. Verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Verse 5. If anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. The meat is on the street. I'll tell you, this is a lesson I've had to learn, and I'm still learning it, because I'm a thinker. If I'm not learning something new, I quickly get bored. Uh, and unfortunately, during times when I haven't been learning anything new about God, I've sometimes gotten bored with God. And, and so I like to read the Bible. I like to read books about the Bible. Not simple how-to books, but, but deep books, theological books, books that make you think and make you ponder. 
And that's one of the reasons I went to seminary. And I loved it. I got to spend three whole years reading thousands of pages, pondering all about God. And now, of course, I'm working on another degree, doing the same thing. And I think this is good, that God's made me a thinker. He's given me this type of brain, and he expects me to use it. But there's a danger there, and at times I've fallen into it. And, and the danger is that I can fall into thinking that just because I'm learning new stuff about God and being inspired by it, that I'm getting more spiritual or more mature in my faith. But that's just plain not true. In, in fact, in our passage, John says it's false, that it's a dangerous deception. He says in verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. Just because we've learned a lot about God does not mean that we know God. This is all the more true in today's culture. Neil Postman, the, the media guru, the, the cultural commentator who's written books like Technopoly and Amusing Ourselves to Death, has diagnosed our culture as having a declining information action ratio. He said that because of TV and the internet, etc., we are deluged with more and more information every day. And yet we're acting less and less on that information. So we turn on the news and we, we hear about um, poverty in our cities and a house fire in New Jersey and refugees in the Middle East and Europe. And then we switch the channel and we watch our favorite sitcom or sports game. And we know more and more about what's going on all over the world, and yet we wind up doing less and less about it. Why? Because we're overwhelmed. We're, we're deluged with, with so much information, and we can't act on it all. And, and so we get in the habit of, of learning new things and not acting on hardly any of it. We've fallen prey to what Postman calls a low information action ratio. And notice what the acronym is when you take the first letter of each word. And so the problem is that, that when something comes along that we can act on and we should act on, we've become programmed not to act. And, and um, we very easily carry this habit into church. We hear a sermon about God and, and it's more information. And, and maybe our heads are so full of noise that, that we can't even concentrate on it and take it in. Or, or maybe we do hear it, but, but by Monday morning we've forgotten it because there's been a lot more information we've heard in the meantime. Or, or maybe we do remember the sermon and we even feel convicted to act on it, but we just never get around to it because we're just not in the habit of acting on what we learn. Have you fallen into this trap like I have many times? The Apostle John in, in today's text says that this is a problem. He says, You'll never get to know God this way. Why? Because, because to grow in, in our spiritual life, to grow in our relationship with God, we need spiritual nourishment. We need meat. And the meat is on the street. The nourishment is found not just in hearing stuff about God, but in living it out on the street every day. To know God, we must walk with God. We must experience God. We must live it out. We, we have to trust God and step out and see how God comes through for us. We have to obey God and, and see how it actually goes when we do. 
We have to step out for God and see what God does and how God meets us in our actions. John, who who wrote our text this morning, knew this. He had walked with Jesus for years. And now the church that he was writing to needed to know this too. John writes to encourage this church because they have just endured a church split. Evidently, from what we know of the book of 1 John, some prophets had come into this church that he's writing to, claiming to be from God, claiming to be full of the Holy Spirit. (coughs) Excuse me. These prophets um, who came into the church were spiritual. They were super spiritual, and they had invited all who wanted to be super spiritual too to follow their teaching. They had taught that Jesus was spiritual. Jesus was divine. Jesus was God himself. In fact, Jesus was so spiritual, so awesome, so exalted and glorious that he couldn't really have been fully human too. No, Jesus was, was more like God in a human skin. Not, not really human through and through, just kind of wearing a human disguise. Further, these prophets had taught that, that what matters is, is knowing the truth about Jesus and about God, digging into the deep things of the faith. They didn't worry so much about the practical things, like what we're to do or, or not to do. So they didn't occupy themselves with right or wrong. The important thing to them wasn't whether you sinned or whether you didn't. The more important thing was whether you really knew God and and Jesus as they had come to know them. Well, when when some in the church that that John's writing to got uncomfortable with this teaching and and this focus and began to push back against it, the, the prophet's rebuked them for being unspiritual and for being misguided. And and then the prophets took their new followers, those from the church that they'd gained, and they left with them. And they said, if the rest of you really want to be saved, if you really want to know Jesus, then you'll follow us too. And now here was the rest of the church after these prophets left who who didn't go along, and, and they were smaller now. They were hurting. They were shaken They were wondering if maybe they'd missed the boat, if maybe they weren't spiritual, if if maybe they should have listened and and followed along to this inspiring teaching from these prophets. And and to this shaken, hurting church, John writes this letter to encourage them and to reassure them that they were, in fact, on the right track, that they knew the real Jesus, fully human, just as much as he is fully God. God. A Jesus who cares a lot about everyday matters, about how we live our lives and whether we sin or whether we obey. A Jesus who who told a parable about two men. Both were religious. Both had heard Jesus' words, but only one of them put them into practice. To the one who, uh, or rather the one who put them into practice, Jesus said, was, was like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the storms came and the winds rose, that house stood strong. But the other was like a foolish man. He heard Jesus' words, but he didn't put them into practice. And he was like a man who built his house on sand. When the storms and the winds of life came, the, the house fell with a great crash. This was the Jesus who also, one time when he was hungry, said to his disciples, I have food that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. 
This was a Jesus who agreed that the meat is on the street. And so John writes, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Do you want to know if you know him? Don't just ask yourself if you've accepted Jesus as your savior. Yes, do that. But also ask yourself whether you obey Jesus' commands. Why? Because your obedience somehow earned you your salvation or Jesus' pleasure? No way. We're saved by God's grace through and through. But here's the thing. It's easy to have had an experience at camp when we were young or in Sunday school and to have given our life to Jesus, to, to accept him as our Savior and to receive eternal life and to look back our whole life on that as, as a meaningful experience, but never to really have meant it. And there are loads of those people, some in churches, some not. But what Jesus taught and what John knows is this. If that conversion experience was real, it will lead to a changed life. It will lead to new allegiances and a life of obedience to Jesus. It's not that obedience leads to salvation, no way. It's that salvation leads to obedience. And if the obedience doesn't follow, then we have to question whether the salvation was ever really real. John continues, verse 4, Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. And verse 6, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Literally, the text of verse 6 says this, Whoever says they abide in him must themselves walk as Jesus walked. Abide. That's that well-known word, over in John's writing, John's gospel, from the image of the vine and the branches. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. Abide in me. Let my word abide in you, and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But what does it mean to abide? How do we abide? Well, here John tells us in our verse this morning, we must walk as Jesus walked. Live the way Jesus lived. Abiding in Jesus isn't just about spiritual retreats and early morning devotional times, though those are definitely part of it. But abiding in Jesus is also, and just as importantly, John reminds us, about living out what we learn about Jesus in those quiet times, living them out in our daily lives. The meat is on the street. As we walk as Jesus walked, as we love as Jesus loved, as we serve as Jesus served, reaching out as he reached out, then we are fed and we are nourished in the knowledge of God and the rich life of Jesus. You know, that's why for, for the thesis that I'm working on in school, I, I've been struggling with, with what we do here every Sunday morning, preaching. <laughs> I've been struggling with, with the power and the possibility and also with the limitations and even dangers of preaching. Taking half an hour out of our morning to gather in a room and listen to someone talk to us about the Bible. It's striking, isn't it, that if you add up all of the hours that all the people in this room devote week in and week out to church activities, we corporately spend more time each week listening to preaching than anything else. Because we believe this is important. 
That this is the word of God, that God's word is powerful and it's true that God speaks to us through it. And yet we live in a society overwhelmed with information, with an insanely low information action ratio. We we know so much and we do so little about it. And my fear is that we devote way more time and energy as a church to listening to God's word than we do to putting it into practice. And and when I read what John has to say here, or I listen to Jesus' parable about the two guys who built houses, or or I hear James' warning in, in his letter, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. My warning lights start going off. Danger, danger. Our vision as a church is to be transformed. It's to be transformed in love and in mission in a changing world. But we're never going to be transformed just by hearing God's word. Yes, we need to hear it, but we're only going to be transformed as we also put it into practice. And so for my thesis project, I've been trying to figure out how to address this. How how do we put as much emphasis on doing the word as, as we do on hearing the word? And so this fall, we're doing an experiment. We're, we're looking at the same passage two weeks in a row in hopes that, that what we learn in the sermon doesn't get lost as quickly amidst all the other information around, it, around us. We come back a second time and we get to hear it again. Hopefully it, it sinks in and it sticks with us better. And every other week we've been sharing stories like we did this morning of how some of us are putting into practice the things we've learned in our daily lives to remind ourselves that this is the point that, um, and that we're all to be doing this. We're all to be responding and putting into practice the things that we hear. And for those in the sermon group that meets during Sunday school, we're, we're asking ourselves each week, what is God saying to you through this morning's message? And just as importantly, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond? How are you going to put this into practice? How are you going to let this word t- take incarnate become incarnate in you and be lived out and transform who you are. Because the meat is on the street. You can't know God without walking with God. That's what John is reminding us of this morning. So how are we to respond to this reminder? Well, what is it that you've been hearing God say? You personally, or maybe your family, maybe your small group. What have you been hearing God say that that you haven't been responding to, that you haven't been putting into practice? Why haven't you? Is it that you're too busy, that you're too distracted? Is it that there's something keeping you from obeying? Maybe it's, it's fear, Fear that, that if you obey God, it will cost you or, or God will leave you hanging and God won't take care of you. Or maybe it's hurt. Maybe it's that we trusted God in the past and, and he let us get hurt and we don't want to go through that again. As we've been wrestling in the sermon group with, with what keeps us from obeying, we, we've been realizing that, that it comes down to whether we can trust God. Marilyn touched on this this morning. Whether, as Greg said last Sunday, God is is often a cranky and a grumpy God. Or whether God is really good and gracious and loving. 
if God is really good, then we can trust him. But if he's not, then, then we're probably going to take our chances without him. Thank you very much. The writer Philip Yancey uh, tells a story about as, as an active young man having surgery on his foot that really cramped his style. He writes, Afterwards, the, the, serv- the surgeon warned me against bicycling, mountain climbing, running, and other activities that might endanger the healing process. Basically, anything that sounded fun, he vetoed. One time, on one visit, I tried to talk him into granting me a premature golf match. Some friends get together once a year. It's important to me. I've been practicing my swing, and if I only use my upper body and I keep my legs and my hips very still, could I join them? And without a flicker of hesitation, my doctor replied, it would make me very unhappy if you played golf within the next two months. I thought you were a golfer, I said, appealing to his sympathies. I am. (laughs) That's how I know you can't swing without rolling your foot inward and putting weight on the part that's trying to heal. (laughs) The point was obvious, and Yancey continues, my doctor has nothing against playing golf. As a fellow golfer, he sympathizes with me, but he has my best interests at heart. It will indeed make him unhappy if I do something prematurely that might damage my long-term recovery. He wants me to play golf next year and the next and for the rest of my life. And for that reason, he could not sanction a match too soon after my surgery. As we talked, I began to appreciate my doctor's odd choice of words. If he had issued an edict, no golf, I might have stubbornly rebelled. He left me the free choice and he expressed the consequences in a most personal way. Disobedience would grieve him for his job was to restore my health. The role of a doctor may be the most revealing image in thinking about God and sin. What a doctor does for me physically guide me toward health. God does for me spiritually. I am learning to view sins not as an arbitrary list of rules drawn up by a cranky judge, but rather as a list of dangers that must be avoided at all costs for our own sakes. Do you view God that way? Can you view God that way and and trust in his goodness and step out trusting him to to obey him and and what he asks you to do? Because there's a lot of meat there on the street. And that, John says, is the only way you'll really get to know God. To respond this morning, we, um, we don't have a closing hymn or a benediction. So I'm going to invite you just to take a minute to be quiet, to ask yourself, what is God asking me to do? Do I know that he's good? Can I trust him and step out into that, trusting that there will be meat there? Let's be quiet for a minute, and then I'll close this in prayer.